Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Harrington as he shares this week's message. Thank you for doing that song that leads into our message as we open up the book of Luke again. We're back in Luke, Luke 18, as we're making our way through the journey of Luke's gospel. We're looking at Luke 18, 1 through 8. In these next two weeks, we're looking at approaching a holy God. How you and I are to approach a holy God, looking at the example or the parable of the persistent widow. Now, thinking about it, these children here, and you can see, you know, you're always trying to run around, keep them together. Imagine this, and you may not have to imagine too hard. Have you ever been busy doing something, trying to get a task done? Maybe you're on the phone, maybe you're whatever, trying to do laundry, maybe do working on the car, and this, this is what you hear. Mom, 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 mom. Dad, 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 dad. Or maybe you have a, a, a dog or a cat, and they're barking, and they're pulling at you, they're, they're going at you, or, or maybe it's your boss or your spouse, and they're just persistently coming at you. Anyone ever experienced anything like that? Oh, anyone here Never? All right. But, you know, we've experienced it, and that can be annoying, can it not? And there gets to be a point where eventually what does your children learn is that they can wear you down if they go on long enough, and they usually do. It's like the water and the rock, but you and I are like the weakest sandstone there is, and we're jello. We're just washed away. They, they learn very quickly that persistence pays off. They know that they have been given a supernatural gift of endurance that they can wear you down just by saying, ma, 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 dad, 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 dad. And it can be really difficult, but eventually we do wind up giving in. They are masters at bending our will to theirs, are they not? That is the wonderful gift of children. Now, whatever it is our children our bosses, our spouses, or a debt collector, persistence is a persuasive tool. Only the strong of heart have enough endurance and stamina to resist the tenacity, Brandon, of an unrelenting demands of a persistent person. And I only say this because Brandon's been sharing a story of a man who's just persistently coming at him looking for what he calls justice. <clears throat> and that's kind of what our theme is this morning. In Luke's Gospels, chapter 17 through 19, as we've been working our way, this part of Luke's Gospel details the final part of Jesus' discipleship teaching as he makes his way to Jerusalem. Patrick Schreiner notes that readiness is the main theme throughout those three chapters, 17, 18, 19, three chapters. It's God is, or Jesus is trying to get his disciples to be ready. You need to be alert. You need to be awake. You need to be ready. He's preparing his disciples for his inedible or inevitable divine appointment at Calvary, where he will be crucified. His time is short. His mission is to prepare, uh, to prepare his disciples for that day when they will be commissioned to continue his earthly ministry. But as we came to the end of chapter 17 and last in December, Jesus had warned his disciples about the coming of the kingdom. Remember, we, we talk about the kingdom of God. We want to develop lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God. God's kingdom is here today. It's growing, but yet there will be a day when it will be here on earth. 
And he's been warning his disciples about the coming of the kingdom and the conditions of the world before Jesus returns again. He warns them not only must Jesus, he himself, the Messiah, suffer many things and be rejected, but that humanity will actually be oblivious to the coming of the kingdom. They will not recognize it. They will be busy doing their life. They will continue to eat and drink and buy and sell and plant and build as if nothing is ever coming, as if the judge or the day of judgment is not near. And that really explains the world that we're looking at. They are living their lives, and many of us many times live our lives as if Jesus is not coming back. And I believe that's infecting the pews today in the churches of many who are just compromising on the word. I, I truly believe that we are seeing the great apostatize, apostasy that, we're, that, does, that Paul warns of in, in 1 Thessalonians. He warns his disciples not to adopt this attitude of the people of the days of Noah and Lot's wife who just were going on life as if nothing is ever going to happen. But we're to be ready and prepared for that day. So now as we come to Luke 18 in today's passage, Luke records the parable of a woman who's persistent in seeking justice. Jesus teaches this parable to instruct his disciples on how to pray, knowing that the world is going to be hostile to our faith and our way of life and how we live. So with that, Luke 18, hopefully you have your Bibles with you. Again, I want to encourage you to bring your Bibles or tablet or whatever it is that you're reading your Bible. I have it here on the monitor as well. But we're going to read those first three verses. And Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they always ought to pray and not lose heart. You may want to underline that. That's the whole point of this parable. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. Let's pray. Father, <clears throat> thank you for this parable. It has survived the test of time. It has survived the translations. It has survived uh, many things to be here preserved for us this morning. It is profitable for doctrine, for tell us what is right and wrong. It is profitable to correct us when we are wrong. It, it is profitable to rebuke us when we have gone wrong. And it's also profitable to tell us how to live our lives in righteousness. So Lord, this, is, this, this parable is important for us this morning. One day we will stand before uh, you as a holy God and give an account for this, you know, 30, 40 minutes that we're here listening to your word. So may we use it wisely. Thank you for the privilege. Thank you for the opportunity to get to come to church and enjoy the fellowship of others. Lord, also, I pray that your spirit would just have free reign in our hearts to teach us this morning that we may respond to what you have for us. In your name we pray. Amen. So right off the bat, Luke informs us that Jesus is teaching disciples how they ought to pray and not lose heart. That's, that's very important. And as you can imagine, after instructing them of how they're going to suffer for the sake of Christ, and that the world will generally be not only non-responsive to the gospel and to our ministry and to our desires to help them, they're going to be outright hostility to the ministry. It might lead one to despair. It might lead one to be frustrated, to angry, to wonder, what is it that we're doing? And sometimes we do that ourselves. You know, we, we do all these things, but yet, what is going on? However, Jesus had already promised them 
that he will establish his church, the bride of Christ, and that the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it. So he's telling us that the gates of hell cannot prevail, but do not lose heart. I know things look bleak today, but do not lose heart. Soon he's going to give them a commission to spread throughout the whole world, the nations, uh, go through the whole world preaching and teaching and baptizing and discipling people with the gospel. Not only are they to prepare for the ministry, they need to be ready, but they need to be to persevere in ministry. That is a call that's for us today as well. We are called to endure. We are called to persevere. Many times people think just becoming a Christian is a, just a great add-on to life, right? Just add Jesus, stir, shake well, and then all your problems are going to be solved. And then they start to run when the cares of this world or where sufferings, trials, and tribulations come. When there's ridicule or people find out their family is not happy with what they believe. But he's called us to persevere through all of those things. To illustrate his point of not losing heart, Jesus uses a simple scenario between a judge who refuses to give justice to a widow. This judge is described as derelict in carrying out his duties. He is not a good judge. He is no respecter of man or God. And at first we think, well, isn't that a good thing for a judge to be? Uh, A judge, you know, that's our symbol, right? Is the woman who's blind holding the scales. And so isn't it good that a judge not be a respecter of people or of God? However, in this case, when he says he's not a respecter of God or man, it says he has no respect for God. He has no fear of God. God doesn't even enter into his decisions in life. He's not a good judge. He's not a respecter. He is typically identified in this passage by many as an unjust judge. Now, Scripture calls for justice to be done. In Exodus, we see Jesus said, or God said, you shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry. And my wrath, God says, will burn and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. Justice was not to be neglected. In Micah, he says, he's told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? What is it that God requires of his children? Do justice. Love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. However, as you and I look at Luke 18, this judge ignores the pleas of the widow as well as scripture. To put it bluntly, he is wicked and he is uncaring. Most likely he used his position to pervert justice for his own gain by accepting bribes and ignoring those who could not afford to do so. Now, the second character in this story is the widow. She's looking for justice. We are not told what the issue is, but it leads us to believe that she is in the right. Jesus describes her as being persistent, resolute, insistent, uh, restless in her pursuit, and continual in her demand for justice. She is not going to be pushed to the side. She is not going to be neglected or, or, or overlooked. You could say she was like a bulldog hanging on to a bone. She will not let the matter go. Surely she's considering the commands of scriptures that's found in Isaiah. You see it here on the monitor where it says, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead what? The widow's 
cause. I'm sure that was in her heart, as it should be for us even today. But as we mentioned earlier, persistence many times pays off. According to the American Heritage Dictionary, persistence means refusing to give up to, or to let go. It means insistent, repetitive, or continuous. And to give your mind of what persistence really is, it's that guy that's behind you that continually honks your horn, right? Honks his horn. It's annoying, but yet eventually he gets something done. Though many times someone's persistence can be annoying, it is a great trait to have many times. Consider these examples of persistence. NASA, 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 they experienced 20 failures in their first 28 attempts to send rockets to space. Henry Ford's early business failed and left him broke five times before he founded the Ford Motor Company. Walt Disney, he went bankrupt after failing several businesses. He was even fired from a newspaper for this, for lacking imagination and good ideas. Albert Einstein was thought to be mentally handicapped before changing the face of modern physics and winning the Nobel Prize. It took Thomas Edison 1,000 attempts before inventing the light bulb. His teachers had also told him growing up that he was too stupid to learn anything. Dr. Seuss' first book was rejected by 27 publishers before it was accepted. Vincent van Gogh only sold one painting in his whole lifetime. But yet now his paintings are worth millions, hundreds of millions of dollars. And of course, my favorite, Michael Jordan, the greatest basketball player ever to play, the true goat, was cut from his high school basketball team for not being good enough. Persistence pays off. We understand this. We know this. In this case, the widow's persistence pays off as we read in verse 4. You may see it on your monitor. For a while, this judge refused her cry. But afterwards, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. This poor guy. I shouldn't say poor guy. He's not a poor guy. This guy is awful. But he couldn't handle her persistence. It was beating him down, meaning his resistance was waning. He was getting tired of her continually coming and crying for justice. It was getting too difficult to say no. She would not pay a bribe. She would not carry his favor. So she just continually confronted him to do his duty. However, we must also understand that his change of heart was not of, out of compassion or to do his duty. It was not out of conscience, but out of convenience. It was convenient for him to finally say, all right, I'll give you justice. Now, I would expect that those that are listening and hearing this parable in the first century 2,000 years ago are getting upset as they're listening to this story. And they most likely, like you and I, have taken the side of the widow. They probably had experienced issues very similar to this poor woman. In that group, there probably was people who just could not get justice because they would not uh, pay the bribe or because of their social economic status. Even today, you and I <clears throat> become frustrated and angry with many times what we conclude is unjust systems, right? Even here in this world, there's a cry, justice. We want justice. 
in small groups this past Friday, and by the way, this is a continuation of our Friday group, we considered the cries of the prophet Habakkuk, who prayed this. It's here on the monitor. He prayed, oh, Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Isn't that a cry for many of us? Where are you, Lord? Why, why aren't you not changing things? He says, or cry to you violence and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise so that the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous so justice goes forth perverted. Jesus is really banking on that to teach this lesson. You and I understand this. We, we cry out this for this. If not uh, actually physically, but in our minds and our hearts. This world is broken. Each and every one of our systems, our culture, no matter what it is, is broken. It is sinful. It is run by sinful men and women. We are sinful men and women. But yet we still yearn for things to be right. That's where we come into the gospel. Jesus is making that which is broken, he's healing. He's making that which is wrong, right. That which is oppressed, he's, he's, he's delivering from the captivity. How often do you and I send up prayers for our children just as we did just a moment ago? How many times do we send up prayers for our future, for our, for our nation, for, for things to be better? Only to find no answers. Silence. We yearn for justice to reign. We yearn for righteousness to be prevalent. We, we desire a peace to abound in our world, in our life, in our surroundings. Yet our world is becoming more and more wicked with each generation. We see some progress made. Today is Sanctity of Life Day. For the first time in, what, 50, 60 years, Abortion is not the law of the land. We've seen some progress that abortion is not constitutional law, but yet as much as we see that progress, and what was interesting for the first time uh, this past Friday, I think it was, or I can't remember what day it was, but uh, the, 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 pro, uh, the March for Life was in um, Washington, D.C., and for the first time they did not march to the Supreme Court, but marched to the Capitol because God had prevailed there at the Supreme Court and now the battle is now in all the 50 states, right? And in California, it seems to be a lost cause. But yet, there's some sense in which you say, look, at there is progress. But then all of a sudden, 210 Democrats vote against the Born Alive bill. Meaning that if a child happens to be born after an abortion, for some reason, the doctor unsuccessfully kills that child and that child is born alive, they're then to give life-saving procedures for that child. 210 Democrats said no. The procedure now is to let that child just sit and squirm and cry until it finally dies. They do not have to give life-saving. I mean, wait a second. I, I thought we had a big victory here, but then something like that happens. It, it can't even go any further. Not that we have a president that would sign it or a Senate that would pass it. 210. We watch in horror, disgust, irritation, and even despair as other cultural wickedness, wickedness prospers. We look at drag queen shows in our public libraries and our schools. 
homosexuals who adopt children only to abuse them. Where's justice? That's what we want. That's all we're asking. Not a lot. I just want some justice. Now, there's two lessons that we can learn here about praying through this parable. But before we do that, I want to review what prayer is so we're all on the same page. Prayer is simply a means of God's grace where we can converse or have conversations with a holy God. That's why approaching a holy God. It is an opportunity to express our gratitude for all of his wonderful gifts that he's given us. It's a time to confess our sins and receive forgiveness. It's a time to offer up praise and adoration for how great of a God he is. <clears throat> and lastly, it is an opportunity, a means of grace, to offer up our petitions for help, for, for trust and grace, in which a holy God listens to the sinful prayers of sinful people. What we must understand, though, is prayer is designed to align ourselves with God and not vice versa. See, many times we think prayer is just me getting what I want. And so we can be persistent in prayer, so we think eventually we can pester Jesus enough, the Father enough, that they'll finally give us what we want. But that's not what prayer is. Prayer is a means of grace in which we align ourselves with God's word, not get God to align on ours. Now, I'm going to expound on that a little bit, but, but prayer is a means of grace where we converse with God, where we align ourselves with God's word, not vice versa. So with that in mind, first, the first lesson is that we must be persistent in our prayers. That's very simple. Okay? I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't have to go into very deep Greek or Hebrew or Aramaic to get that. Just be persistent in prayer. The children of God must follow the examples of the persistent widow. Scripture calls us to cry to him day and night. Jesus promised, and whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. And in, in, in John, he says, until now you have asked nothing in my name, asking you receive that your joy may be filled. So God wants to give you good gifts. However, we need to be constant, continually praying before him. Jesus writes, or James, excuse me, writes in his letter <clears throat> that the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Paul tells us to pray without ceasing. We are to continually be in prayer. Elsewhere, as we look here in the monitor, we are told that when you pray, pray, Father, hallowed be thy name, your kingdom come. We are to pray in recognizing who God is. We are to pray, hallowed be your name, not for us, but for the things of God. In Luke, we must stay awake, he says, at all times. How are we to pray? By being ready, by staying awake, by being sober, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place. What is all those things? Just the, the, the suffering and the endurance of a hostility of a world that hates us waiting till that day that he comes. And we're to stand before the Son of Man. So we are to stay and we're to pray in the Father's name. We are to pray being awake, being sober. Yet many times we find ourselves at a loss. Have you ever done that? Wondering why God does not answer our prayer. How often have you prayed for something and it just hasn't come true? It hasn't come why doesn't he answer our prayers? And why doesn't he answer them quickly? Or at least in a reasonable time frame? Of course, that's in our opinion. 
The Bible gives us several reasons why our prayers may not be answered. One, he says, let him ask in faith without no doubting. So there are many times we are not asking in faith. And faith, again, is a confident trust in in the person of God. We are not asking because we believe him. You know, it's like the child who comes, I know you're going to say no, but. You ever hear that? Have you ever done that? I know you're going to say no, but. And what is your parents going to say? Typically, no. We don't trust that God wants to give us good things. We feel that God is is like a a genie, like a bottle that we need to rub in just the right way and try to get him to do what we want him to do. We're trying to manipulate God. This is let him ask in faith with no doubting. We doubt that God is going to give us. The second one is you ask, he says, and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions so many times we're just asking for wrong things with the wrong heart motivation we made something an idol we desire it just for us we're not seeking the kingdom of God hence why all these things are not added to us so there's a sense in which there are times in which our answers are not our prayers are not answered because we're asking out of a wicked heart ourselves we are not due that justice One theologian remarks that persistence in prayer or in faith in doing good are all commended because the motivation is right. So you need to make sure that in our persistence, it's for the right reasons. He goes on to say that persistence is wrong when the motives are self-serving. See, if if my child would come to me and say, dad, 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 hold on for a second. Dad, 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 wait a moment. Dad, 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 dad. What? Can I have a cookie? No, you may not have a cookie. But if he's a dad, 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 hey, I'm on the phone. Dad, 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 what do you want? The house is on fire. Okay, that's a good one. Good kid. See, there's a difference. So are we right asking? Are we praying? Are we seeking after the right things? The Bible gives us many examples of persistence during suffering and those who ask for the right things. Think of Job, man who prayed, who endured much. We think of Hannah, as we talked about earlier, who desired a child. Elijah, stopping the rain. Jeremiah, the apostles, Paul, so on and so forth. Now, the second lesson on prayer is on the character of God. So first, we must be persistent in our prayer. But the second thing is we need to look on God. Look back with me in Luke 18, verse 6. I don't know if that's on the monitor or not, but look at Luke 18, verse 6. And the Lord says, so now here's he's going to go and he's going to teach with this parable, what he's trying to get, the main point. He says, hear what the unrighteous judge says. I'm going to finally give her justice. It says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give them justice to them, what? Speedily, in the the ESV. Now, typically at this point, many would emphasize this parable on the persistence of the widow. However, the key to this parable, the thing that Jesus is really teaching about this parable, is the comparison and the contrast between the unrighteous judge and the righteous judge, capital J. Jesus asked two rhetorical questions that elicit these answers. 
Of course, yes, the Father will give justice to his elect. And no, he will not delay in answering their prayers. Jesus is teaching that God will grant justice to his children speedily. Now, speedily may be different according to his timetable, but he will give justice. In other words, God the Father stands in a positive contrast to the wicked judge. So in our prayers, and not to lose heart, our focus needs to be on the good, righteous, wise judge. This comparison is similar to the teachings of Jesus. When he taught in Matthew, it's here in the monitor. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, and here's the contrast, look at this. If his son asks him for bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? The answer, by the way, is what? No, of course not. If you then, who are evil, now he's given comparison, you and I are evil, wicked, sinful according to God, in contrast to God, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask them? We just got past Christmas, right? We gave good gifts to our children. Did they deserve them? Yeah, debatable. But yet we gave them anyway. So here's the key that he's trying to help us learn how to pray that you may not lose heart is you and I need to understand that we have a righteous, wise, good father who desires to answer your prayers, to give you good things. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then what? All these things will be added. What is the things? Shelter, food, clothing, joy. These are the things that you and I need to see. This is what he's trying to teach. Be persistent, but in the end, it's not your persistence. It's you looking on and trusting in a beautiful, wonderful, holy God. Our judge and father desires to give us justice and provision. Scriptures declare, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? In Deuteronomy, he says, I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. Psalms, Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. We will not always live in a world in which justice is neglected and perverted. We will not always have to deal with judges who are, who are neglectful, derelict in their duties or self-seeking in their duties. Now, he may not always answer our prayers according to our timetable, but he does hear. John MacArthur, looking here on the monitor, he says, God sometimes delays answering our prayers, yet... He encourages us to keep praying with persistence and passion, never losing faith and not growing faint. This also brings into remembrance a song that we sung just a little bit earlier, written by John Newton. I ask the Lord that I might grow. 
And as you follow that song, you, you see John Newton saying, Lord, why are you not answering my prayer? Why am I still struggling in my sin? Why am I still enduring suffering? Lord, change me. Make me new. Help me in my life. And he's wondering, why are you not doing that? And I love how he uses scripture. The answer comes back that God answers the prayer for more faith, a confident trust in God, and for more grace when we struggle. See, in other words, his means of prayer is for us to align ourselves with God. So if you're praying for a big house, you're praying for that boat, you're praying for the lotto, you're praying for this, you're praying for that, does that align with the will of God for your life? And until it does, why should God answer any prayer? It's like the son come before his father asking for allowance, asking for a gift or something, but yet he won't take out the garbage, he won't help. He won't help his father in any form or fashion. Just in a simple way of thinking of it. We've got to align ourselves with the Father. It's so important for you and I to do. So first, maybe you need to pray, Father, help me to love my wife. Lord, help me to submit to my husband. Father, help me not to provoke my children to wrath. Father, help me to share the gospel. Help me to read your word, to hide your word in my heart. Not just so I can just live and not feel guilt and sorrow, but because I know who you are and you're a wonderful, loving God. And I want to ascribe greatness to you in my life. This parable, when we come to the end, is a parable of self-reflection. If you're taking note, make a note of that. This parable, parables are mirrors. It's for self-reflection. It's for you to read it and not say, boy, I would not be that judge. Or I want to be that woman. No, it's actually for you to look back on yourself. You're not the hero of the story, right? Okay? We need to understand that we're neither the widow nor the judge, right? We're not persistent. We're not like the widow. Because many times our, our, our pleas are not righteous like I believe hers are. We'll see that in a moment. But it's a mirror to help us understand. And this parable is a, is a mirror of self-reflection as Jesus closes his teaching at the end of verse 8. Look at verse 8b. I may, it may have it on here, but underline it because this is important. This is what Jesus is teaching when he says that, he, that, that, that they may pray and not lose heart. He says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, Jesus is returning. Amen? He says, will he find faith on earth? Will he find persistent men and women who are praying, focusing on God? In the end, that's reflection as you and I, that's the response now. The Spirit is now working. As you look at this, this, he's asking, are you this type of person? Will God find this type of faith? Remember, faith is a confident trust in the person of God. God will do what he says. God is a good, wise king. Now, as children of God, we're to hold fast to the faith, right? A confident trust in the person of God. And we're to keep praying and trusting in God, in God's sovereignty and providence in which he rules and runs our life as he sees fit. And then we align with that. Like the persistent widow, 
Our persistence must be accompanied by confidence. I believe the reason why this woman came day in and day out is because she knew that she was in the right. Justice was on her side. There are many people today, even just this weekend, that were in the streets, they were breaking windows, they were crazing all sorts of things, setting cars on fire, who are calling for justice. However, the justice they're looking for was not a righteous justice. The right was not on their side. So how is it that she can be so confident? Well, your persistence in asking God for things must be based with the confidence. That's why the writer, the author of Hebrews encourages us. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So how do you and I approach a holy God with bold confidence? How can we be persistent? Let me give you three things. Number one, be confident in the righteousness of your request. Be confident in the righteousness of your request. Paul writes, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. You need to be confident that what you're asking God for is right. And it's not something for your own use something in which you want to glorify God. Number two, you need to be confident in your relationship with God. The Bible tells us that salvation belongs to God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This may strike you as odd or controversial, but God only hears the prayers of his children. Are you a child of God today? If you were to stand before God today, before Christ because he death or some other unfortunate accident. And he were to say, why should I let you into my heaven? How would you answer? If your answer is because I was good, it's not going to do it. If you say, well, I belong to a church. I belong to a culture. I belong to a tradition. I've done the sacraments. I've done the ordinances. Salvation only belongs to God. And he gives it only to those that recognize their need of a Savior. Repent. Turn from that sin and put their trust and confidence in the work of Christ. I would call you today, for you to be confident to approach a holy God, you must come before him in a humble way. You must come before him as a child of God, for that's the prayers that he answers, is that of his children. I call you today, if you're not a child of God, would you come and ask? We'd love to share with you how you too can have the confidence, knowing that you are in Christ, and that when Christ returns, or that day that death takes you, that you can spend eternity in heaven. So you need to be confident in your relationship with God. Are you one of his chosen children? And number three, be confident that God will fulfill his promises. Be confident God will fulfill his promises. James says, be patient until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. Be patient about it until he receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand.
He may not have answered your prayer. He may be delaying the answer. Or the answer may be no, as he said to Paul when Paul asked three times, remove this thorn of the flesh. God answered it not so much with a no, but says, you know what? My grace is sufficient. Maybe that's his answer to you today. It might be just endure this suffering. You're asking for him to take it away, but it says, no, my, my desire is for you to endure, persevere through it, trusting. So for you and I in our persistence, we must be confident in, our, in, our, in the righteousness of the request, be confident in our relationship with God, and be confident that God will fulfill his promises. John MacArthur warns that the days are evil. The need for Christians to pray is critical. Our prayer should be urgent. It should be passionate and persistent. We must not lose heart. Until that day that Christ calls us home or he comes again, we must be persistent in our prayers, not losing heart. Let me close with this as the worship team makes their way up. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31 it says, they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Amen? Be persistent. Be confident. Focus on the righteous judge who hears his children. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to ask Randy to go ahead and make his way up just to be there. I want you to just take a moment to pause and consider this parable, matter of self-reflection, is looking right now, is Jesus seeing the faith that he's looking for? Is that faith very, very noticeable, not only to you, but to those around you? That you have a persistent faith in a holy God. That you are persevering, that you are not losing heart. I'd ask you to pray this morning and ask the Father to speak to you, the Spirit, And then would you respond to whatever he's calling you to do this morning for his glory and your good. Randy, would you close us in prayer? We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help share the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.